You're listening to Seattle's Master Composter Podcast. Several years ago, the city of Seattle discovered something remarkable. Gardeners can help change the city for the better, not just by planting pretty things, but by improving the soil. It turns out that people who garden and people who manage public utilities have a lot in common. Good soil structure helps prevent stormwater problems. Organic gardening helps prevent water pollution. And composting helps reduce waste. All these things have led the city to support the Master Composter Program. Let's get some of these tarps laid out. And in that bin over there, we've got a pile of green material. And in that bin, we've got a pile of brown. And eventually, we're going to have to start chopping that and mixing it and working it into some new piles. So let's start emptying that out first so we can take handfuls of it and start chopping. Composting is all about breaking things down and incorporating them back into the earth. It's about taking the detritus in our lives and converting it into something wholesome and life-giving. The ingredients that go into compost fall into two categories, greens and browns. Greens are high in nitrogen and include stuff like lawn clippings and weeds. Browns are high in carbon and include things like autumn leaves and straw. Most green garden waste turns brown if you leave it to dry. So, Jenny, what are you doing? I'm taking some dry hay mulch out of bin B and getting ready to mix it with some green mulch, green compost from the other pile. That's about it. Just getting ready to mix some compost. You're going to get it wet in a minute and speed up its composting time. <laughs> To make compost, you combine equal volumes of greens and browns. You chop it up, mix it up, wet it with a hose, and leave it alone. Now, why are you wetting the straw as it gets mixed here? Because it has a tendency to get dried out on its own, so basically we're trying to make more ideal conditions for the bacteria to grow. What's the ideal moisture? Like a wrung-out sponge. Getting it, getting it wet kind of compacts everything down for sure. So you'll think, you know, it'll look enormous out on the tarp, but once, you, once it wets, it all crunches up a little bit. So, How long have you been chopping? I've been chopping for about three minutes. Uh, my hand's already cramped. And I think about half of the green matter that I'm chopping is ending up on the ground around me. Probably the best of it, too, the littlest bits. But um, it's, it's definitely fun. How do you feel? Oh, you know, I just started chopping, and this is great, great therapy. But I'm hoping I still have ten fingers when I'm done. I need more green stuff. I'm trying to figure out where I can buy one of these machetes. Do they have those? Yeah, these things. These are great. uh, It's good to keep them sharp. We just sharpened them this week, and if they're dull, they're they're way more frustrating. Why don't you chop up the straw? Try chopping straw sometimes. You can't do it, really. You just dull your blade, basically. Yeah, it's, yeah. You just, it's going to decompose just fine as soon as it gets wet. What's, the, what's that? Um, bunny poo. Okay, just right on the pile. Why aren't we worried about rats getting into this compost? Uh, no rats, because this is all green. There's no food waste in this. In this type of a bin, you wouldn't put any food waste in the city. Because you wouldn't, even though it'll get hot and it would, it would destroy food waste and break them down, that would attract the rats. And so we don't want to put anything in here that would be interesting for them. You know, you throw one apple core in there, might probably won't be the end of the world, but uh, 
yeah, if you're doing a ton of food in there, it's just going to stink and the little critters are going to run up right to it. And we definitely don't do it here because I've lived in cities my whole life and I've, for whatever reason, I've never run across many rats except for here at the Good Shepherd Center. They're all over the place. So. <laughs> Oh, and food waste include fallen fruits and, and things like that, especially fallen fruits from your trees. So you wouldn't put in uh, apples that have fallen or plums, Italian prunes. You would also put those in your food waste bins because both raccoons and rats love overly ripened fruits. So. You were saying that uh, the brown and green mix should be 50-50? Yeah, so we're, a little, we're not going to have a 50-50 mix here, are we? Yeah, we're really short on nitrogen here. So we're supposed to be equal volumes of, of green and brown, and we're at about, what, one to four or something? We're I mean, about uh, ten to one. <laughs> so we're really heavy on the straw and really low on the green. The nitrogen fertilizer. So our solution is we have this uh, blood meal, I guess it is. Is that what it is? So, yeah. Where'd that come from? The store. <laughs> It's a slaughterhouse waste. Yeah. So, like you got it at Waltz or something? Yeah, exactly. It's Waltz. And, uh, yeah, it's a very good source of quick release, relatively quick release for an organic source of nitrogen to even it up a little bit. So, how, how are you deciding how much blood meal to add to this mix? Um, by a real seat of the pants calculation. And it's home composting, so it doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> and then later you can feel if it's hot or not, and if it's yeah. not hot, you can just add some blood you can meal. You add some more, exactly. Exactly, you can mix it in. Some of the vegetable sources of nitrogen are like alfalfa meal. It's actually a better fertilizer, but it's expensive, and it is not as available to quickly heat the stuff up, and it's, um, it would take a lot of it. Put some more straw in here. I don't think, we, yeah, because we've got a ways to go before we're going to have a cubic yard here. <laughs> I just moved into a Seattle rental house that's got a really small yard without, without very much stuff to compost. Yeah. So I'm just debating if I should just go ask my neighbors if I can rake up their stuff. I'm sure they wouldn't mind. I'm sure they wouldn't mind. <laughs> Mow their lawn for them. If, yeah. they, if they do, you might have some problems with those neighbors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want my old dead leaves? Yeah. Get out oh, of here. What do you, yeah, what do you <laughs> <laughs> it feels to me like you never have... The, the greens and the browns at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's like you go through this period when you've got pea vines and lettuce ends and all kinds of stuff, and then in the fall you got the browns. And so how do you how do you have the things together in the right time? Right now we've got two big piles. We've got greens and browns, and mm -hmm. we're mixing them together, right? Storage and planning is your best friend for that. Um, you so can store the browns, but you can't store the greens because they turn brown eventually, right? Good, yeah, that that's true. It is harder to store greens unless it's like ferns which hold their you know they hold their uh they hold their greenage a little bit better than something really really green like uh um like grass, grass. yeah exactly uh, another thing is just kind of building your pile somewhat gradually so when if you've got those green you know if you have those leaves on hand every time you cut the grass mix those and add those to your pile that'll that'll help too because then you'll you know, if you always, I think you always do want to have a little bit of, you're always going to have a little bit of something on hand and knowing what you don't have on hand will help a lot. I think that answers the question. <laughs> so if you're building your pile gradually, then your pile isn't three by three by three feet and doesn't get to the heat necessary to kill the pathogens and seed heads, right? 
Well, it's still going to get hot if it's not three by three by three. The three by three by three is just kind of a good guideline to um, where I mean it's a little bit more safe. But I would say that would be you know less of a concern if you have somewhat of a smaller pile. Um, you're still going to get good compost. Um, so yeah, I, and you know it's it definitely the three by three by three pile is is hard for some people with urban lots. They might not have the space, um, or you know not even just the space, but the space to generate that kind of material or that kind of volume. So, um, you know, you compost what you have, and it's the recipe's still going to work. Question for you, Jenny. So I came across these uh, what look like artichoke seed heads here. Yeah, it looks artichoke, maybe cardoon. I think that's what that is. It's definitely in the thistle family. So, so are we going to put that in the compost pile? Um, I don't know. I... I would I don't know if how long how long it takes for these to break down, but they don't look like they're spiky or spiny. So, what do you think, Graham? You do run the risk of getting these seed heads in the compost pile, but uh, you because know, they'll sprout. This is not an undesirable plant. So if it so for me as a permaculture person, I wouldn't necessarily care if something like this did come up in my garden. So it's the stuff that's the noxious weeds that you don't want to have. If it were a straight up thistle, absolutely not. But if, it's, if it is the, the head of an artichoke, which it look, actually looks like it might be, or a cardoon, which is edible, um, first of all, I'd be surprised if it made it through a hot compost. And second of all, I'd be delighted if I had volunteer artichokes in my garden. So that's just me. Yeah, that's the, that's the risk you want. You know, if you know you are composting something that's got the seeds, you know, still on the flower, and it's something you don't want in your garden, maybe something you might want to put in your yard waste bin instead. But, you know, if you want to take the risk, you know, it's... All, I, I think the more experimenting you do with your compost pile, the more fun you're going to have. So, <laughs> Danielle, what's the next step for these piles we made? My understanding is we let them sit for a little while and then we'll turn it. And that will aerate it, get some more oxygen in there, and that will speed up the decomposition. It, it'll start heating up like within the next 24 hours for sure. And it'll probably reach peak temperature in about three days or so. And, you know, we'll let it hit that, come out here and turn it after that. And... Once we, so it'll, you know, it'll hit that peak, go back down a little bit, and then once we turn it again, that'll give it a kick of air and it'll start rising again. Um, and you kind of just do that over time, and, you know, depending on how good your mix is, it'll take anywhere from, you know, six, six weeks, I'd say, would be real fast. But um, definitely, like, you know, two, three months is not out of the question, yeah. If you, you know, it's all about keeping it moist and getting that proper ratio and... Uh, you know, getting it aerated. So do you guys remember what, what the ideal temperature for a backyard compost pile should be? 80 to 120. 120? Is 120 a bit low? Yeah, the, the best range is like 80, mid-80s to mid-120s, but we wanted to get to 130, we wanted to peak if we want to kill weed seeds, but what's likely going to happen is that you're going to get a, you know, you'll poke around and you'll find a hot spot. It'll be 130 or 140, but the outside will only be, you know, 70 or 80 or something. That's right. Uh, the weed seeds into the middle where it's hot. Yep, yeah. exactly. And that's a little easier said than done. But. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, when, when we come back in a week, if we don't, we don't turn it for a week, the volume will go down by a third in a week probably. So if you want it to really heat up the next time, you got to get the volume up a little bit to get insulation. So you could like almost have to combine two piles into one when you turn it to still have that cubic yard. 
This podcast will give you a crash course in how to think like a master composter. And the education reaches far beyond composting. You'll learn to understand your soil. You'll learn how to manage worm bins and green cones. And you'll learn how to control insects without harmful chemicals. You'll learn how gardeners affect and are affected by global warming. And along the way, you'll enjoy yourself, because master composters like to have fun. It's uh, from a, an e- that's based on an English ballad, um, and you might be familiar with it. But here it goes. It's called The Composter's Song. Early one morning, just as the sun was rising, I heard a tilth man singing in the valley below. Oh, water carefully, oh, compost neatly. This is the way to make your garden glow. Remember your yard waste of nitrogen and carbon. Remember the cover crops where you nurtured all your soil. Keep mulching generously, soak soil smartly. This is how a master composter goes. <laughs> Remember the promises that you made to Graham. Remember the contract where you vowed to be true. Talk to your neighbors. Volunteer generously, this is how your outreach must go. (laughs) For the Master Composter Podcast, I'm Joshua McNichols. (laughs) 